It's time now for the complete story, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now here's the BRN father and son team, Dick and Rich Bot, with today's complete story. Well, my word, Rich, uh, the most important issues, they just seem to be piling up and piling up very, very rapidly. And uh, so here we are now with another week has passed and we're into it again, but today we're really going to to push the hot button. <laughs> what say you? Well, there's so much happening these days. And, uh, you know, when, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. And when the r- wicked rule, the people mourn. And uh, the God is doing something in our yeah. generation, in our time, right before us. Yeah. We've been praying for a Great Awakening-style revival. And it seems yeah. like God is shaking this country. Yeah. And we pray that uh, people will wake up well, and uh, turn to the Lord. I tell you what. This country's being shaken, that's for sure. Now, Paul Harvey recorded something. We've used it on this program several times, but I think it really speaks to this moment. Paul Harvey said, if I were the devil, if I were the devil, uh, let's see what I would do to really mess things up. And here's his recording. I want the people to hear this. Here it is. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old I would teach to pray after me, our Father, chart in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public 
and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Good day. Yeah. And, and Rich, you know, that was done when Paul Harvey was alive, of course, but a long time ago. What isn't it current? Isn't it right up to today? That's so forward-looking, yeah. um, because that's where we are today. All right. Now, uh, what, what, the thing that provokes this direction that I'm taking with this broadcast is when I read this week that Vice President Joe Biden, who's running for the Democrat nomination now, why all of a sudden he wants to play the religious card. He wants to say what a great um, Christian he is, or he's a Catholic, or he's all these things and that and the other thing. We know Joe Biden. Now, here's another Catholic who was a congressman from Illinois, Henry Hyde. Henry Hyde. When he was alive, I heard him speak in various meetings. I met him. What a genuine person. Henry Hyde, for whom the Hyde Amendment is known, that the Democrats are trying to tear down now. I think maybe they just did. But when Henry Hyde spoke in the House of Representatives, believe me, it was not a speech that Nancy Pelosi would approve of. He really, really bared his soul on a subject that is so germane to this moment. It begins with life. For heaven's sake, if you can't get the life question straight, what else is worth arguing about? Here's his speech. Mr. Speaker, I yield the balance of my time to the gentleman from Illinois, Mr. Hyde, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. The gentleman from Illinois is recognized for 15 minutes. I ask unanimous consent to revise and extend my remarks. Without objection. And I also beg the indulgence of my colleagues not to ask me to yield because I cannot and will not, and I would appreciate the courtesy. I also want to say briefly that those who have charged us with politics, invidious politics, for delaying this ought to understand that Americans can't believe this practice exists. And it has taken months to educate the American people. And it'll take many more months to educate them as to the nature and extent of this horrible practice. That is one reason it has taken so long. Now, the law exists to protect the weak from the strong. That's why we're here. Mr. Speaker, in his classic novel, Crime and Punishment, <clears throat> Dostoevsky has his murderous protagonist, Raskolnikov, say, man can get used to anything, the beast. That we're even debating this issue, that we have to argue about the legality of an abortionist plunging a pair of scissors into the back of the tiny neck of a little child whose trunk arms and legs have already been delivered and then suctioning out his brains only confirms Dostoevsky's harsh truth. <clears throat> we were told in committee by an attending nurse that the little arms and legs stop flailing and suddenly stiffen as the scissors is plunged in. People who say, I feel your pain, aren't referring to that little infant. What kind of people have we become that this procedure is even a matter for debate? Can't we draw the line at torture? and baby torture at that, if we can't, what's become of us? We're all incensed about ethnic cleansing. What about infant cleansing? There's no argument here about when human life begins. The child who's destroyed is unmistakably alive, unmistakably human, and unmistakably 
brutally destroyed. The justification for abortion has always been the claim that a woman can do with her own body what she will. Well, if you still believe that this four-fifths delivered little baby is a part of the woman's body, then I'm afraid your ignorance is invincible. I finally figured out why supporters of abortion on demand fight this infanticide ban tooth and claw. Because for the first time since Roe v. Wade, the focus is on the baby. Not the mother, not the woman, but the baby. And the harm that abortion inflicts on an unborn child, or in this instance, a four-fifths born child. That child, whom the advocates of abortion on demand have done everything in their power to make us ignore, to dehumanize, is as much a bearer of human rights as any member of this house. To deny those rights is more than a betrayal of a powerless individual. It betrays the central promise of America that there is in this land justice for all. The supporters of abortion on demand have exercised an amazing capacity for self-deception by detaching themselves from any sympathy whatsoever for the unborn child, and in doing so, they separate themselves from the instinct for justice that gave birth to this country. There's no moral, nor for that matter, medical justification for this barbaric assault on a partially born infant. Dr. Pamela Smith, Director of Medical Education in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Chicago's Mount Sinai Hospital, testified to that, as have many other doctors. C. Everett Koop, Dr. C. Everett Koop, the last credible Surgeon General that we had, was interviewed by the American Medical Association. In so doing, he cited several cases in which women were told these procedures were necessary to preserve their health and their ability to have future pregnancies. How would you characterize the claims being made in favor of the medical need for this procedure? Quoting Dr. Koop, question, in your practice as a pediatric surgeon, have you ever treated children with any of the disabilities cited in this debate? Have you operated on children born with organs outside of their bodies? Answer, oh yes, indeed. I've done that many times. The prognosis is good. There are two common ways that children are born with organs outside of their body. One is an omphalocele, where the organs are out but still contained in the sac composed of the tissues of the umbilical cord. I have been repairing these since 1946. The other is when the sac is ruptured. That makes it a little more difficult. I don't know what the national mortality would be, but certainly more than half of those babies survive after surgery. Every once in a while you have other peculiar things such as the chest being wide open and the heart being outside the body. And I have even replaced hearts back in the body and had children grow to adulthood. Question, and live normal lives? Answer, living normal lives. In fact, the first child I ever did with a huge omphalocele, much bigger than her head, went on to develop well and become the head nurse in my intensive care unit many years later. The abortionist who is a principal perpetrator of these atrocities, Dr. Martin Haskell, has conceded that at least 80% of the partial birth abortions he performs are entirely elective. 80% are elective. And he admits to over 1,000 of these abortions, and that's some years ago. 
We're told about some extreme cases of malformed babies as though life is only for the privileged, the planned, and the perfect. Dr. James McMahon, the late Dr. James McMahon, listed nine such abortions he performed because the baby had a cleft lip. Many other physicians who care both about the mother and the unborn child have made it clear this is never a medical necessity, but it is a convenience for the abortionist. It's a convenience for those who choose to abort late in pregnancy when it becomes difficult to dismember the unborn child in the womb. If there is one consistent commitment that has su survived the twists and the turns of policy during this administration, it is an unshakable commitment to a legal regime of abortion on demand. Nothing is or will be done to make abortion rare. No legislative or regulatory act will be allowed to impede the most permissive abortion license in the democratic world. In his memoirs, Dwight Eisenhower wrote about the loss of 1.2 million lives in World War II. And he said the loss of lives that might have otherwise been creatively lived scars the mind of the civilized world. Mr. Speaker, our souls have been scarred by one and a half million abortions every year in this country. Our souls have so much scar tissue, there isn't room for any more. And say, what do we mean by human dignity? If we subject innocent children to brutal execution when they're almost born, we all hope and pray for death with dignity. Tell me what's dignified about a death caused by having a scissor stabbed into your neck so your brains can be sucked out. We've had long and bitter debates in this house about assault weapons. Those scissors and that suction machine are assault weapons worse than any AK-47. You might miss with an AK-47. The doctor never misses with his assault weapon, I can assure you. It isn't just the babies that are dying for the lethal sin of being unwanted or being handicapped or malformed. We are dying, and not from the darkness, but from the cold, the coldness of self-brutalization that chills our sensibilities, deadens our conscience, and allows us to think of this unspeakable act as an act of compassion. If you vote to uphold this veto, if you vote to maintain the legality of a procedure that is revolting even to the most hardened heart, then please don't ever use the word compassion again. A word about anesthesia. Advocates of partial birth abortions tried to tell us the baby doesn't feel pain. The mother's anesthesia is transmitted to the baby. We took testimony from five of the country's top anesthesiologists and they said this impossible. That result would take so much anesthesia, it would kill the mother. By upholding this tragic veto, you join the network of complicity in supporting what is essentially a crime against humanity. For that little almost born infant struggling to live is a member of the human family. And partial birth abortion is a lethal assault against the very idea of human rights and destroys, along with a defenseless little baby, the moral foundation of our democracy, because democracy isn't, after all, a mere process. It assigns fundamental rights and values to each human being, the first of which is the inalienable right to life. One of the great errors of modern politics is our foolish attempt to separate our private consciences from our public acts, and it can't be done. 
at the end of the 20th century is the crowning achievement of our democracy to treat the weak, the powerless, the unwanted as things to be disposed of. If so, we haven't elevated justice. We've disgraced it. This isn't a debate about sectarian religious doctrine nor about policy options. This is a debate about our understanding of human dignity. What does it mean to be human? Our moment in history is marked by a mortal conflict between a culture of death and a culture of life. And today, here and now, we must choose sides. I'm not the least embarrassed to say that I believe one day each of us will be called upon to render an account for what we've done and, maybe more importantly, what we failed to do in our lifetime. And while I believe in a merciful God, I believe in a just God. And I would be terrified at the thought of having to explain at the final judgment why I stood unmoved while Herod's slaughter of the innocents was being reenacted here in my own country. This debate has been about an unspeakable horror. And while the details are graphic and grisly, it has been helpful for all of us to recognize the full brutality of what goes on in America's abortuaries day in and day out, week after week, year after year. We're not talking about abstractions here. We're talking about life and death at their most elemental. And we ought to face the truth of what we oppose or support, stripped of all euphemisms. And the queen of all euphemisms is choice, as though you're choosing vanilla and chocolate instead of a dead baby or a live baby. Now, we've talked so much about the grotesque. Permit me a word about beauty. We all have our own images of the beautiful, the face of a loved one, a dawn, a sunset, the evening star. I believe nothing in this world of wonders is more beautiful than the innocence of a child. Do you know what a child is? She's an opportunity for love, and a handicapped child is an even greater opportunity for love. Mr. Speaker, we risk our souls, we risk our humanity when we trifle with that innocence or demean it or brutalize it. We need more caring and less killing. Let the innocence of the unborn have the last word in this debate. Let their innocence appeal to what President Lincoln called the better angels of our nature. Let our votes prove Raskolnikov is wrong. There is something we will never get used to. Make it clear once again, there is justice for all, even for the tiniest, most defenseless in this our land. And I yield back the balance Mr. of my Chairman, time. Will you yield me? You know, Rich, isn't that amazing? On the floor of the House of Representatives, Congressman from Illinois, by the way, Henry Hyde, and now he's gone home to be with the Lord. But what has happened since then? How long has it been since you've heard a politician? You see, that's the thing about Joe Biden. Is it, isn't it the Democrat politicians up, was it, is it in Kentucky or Virginia where they said even when the baby is born, there should be a period of time afterwards when the parents decide whether to kill it or not. Is that not true? That's true, Dad. The Democrat Party platform is emphatic about its support for abortion. Just as it was before the Civil War, the Democrat yeah. Party was emphatic about its support for slavery. Yes, well, I'll tell you what now. Um, isn't it time then for those who are silent to speak up? Maybe the voices of the churches that are silent are the loudest voices of all. Now, let's go back 
and examine what Henry Hyde said here. Let's listen to what he said right now on this point. Now, the law exists to protect the weak from the strong. That's why we're here. Mr. Speaker, in his classic novel, Crime and Punishment, Dostoevsky has his murderous protagonist, Raskolnikov, say, man can get used to anything, the beast. That we're even debating this issue, that we have to argue about the legality of an abortionist plunging a pair of scissors into the back of the tiny neck of a little child whose trunk arms and legs have already been delivered, and then suctioning out his brains only confirms Dostoevsky's harsh truth. Yeah. See, absolutely. Absolutely. But let me tell you, our students in the schools learning, we talk about family values, for goodness sakes, are the young boys and the young girls learning that life is precious. I'm not talking about the color of the skin, for heaven's sake. I'm talking about life. It begins with life. Here's what Henry Hyde said on late-term abortions. We were told in committee by an attending nurse that the little arms and legs stop flailing and suddenly stiffen as the scissors is plunged in. People who say, I feel your pain, aren't referring to that little infant. What kind of people have we become that this procedure is even a matter for debate? Can't we draw the line at torture and baby torture at that? If we can't, what's become of us? Yeah. You see, I want to remind the people that uh, when, when the millions of dollars were given out now uh, to help this company or this uh, group of people or whatever, Planned Parenthood got a ton of taxpayer money. And, uh, and they were not shut down. I mean, the churches were told to shut down, but not Planned Parenthood and not a lot of other things. Now, here's Henry Hyde back again. Listen carefully to what he said about what people say about the justification for abortion. The justification for abortion has always been the claim that a woman can do with her own body what she will. Well, if you still believe that this four-fifths delivered little baby is a part of the woman's body, then I'm afraid your ignorance is invincible. Yeah. Now, why? Why do the pro-abortion activists why do the politicians, starting with Joe Biden, for goodness sake, and working all the way down, uh, let's take the, the governor of uh, Illinois or, or the mayor of Chicago. You, you tell me the politician uh, who is for abortion. I'll tell you that he's a Democrat. It's just, hey, check it out, folks. See if I'm right or see if I'm wrong. Here's Henry Hyde that talks for a moment now about how people justify supporting abortion. Here it is. I finally figured out why supporters of abortion on demand fight this infanticide ban tooth and claw. Because for the first time since Roe v. Wade, the focus is on the baby. Not the mother, not the woman, but the baby. And the harm that abortion inflicts on an unborn child, or in this instance, a four-fifths born child. That child whom the advocates of abortion on demand have done everything in their power to make us ignore, to dehumanize, is as much a bearer of human rights as any member of this House. And you know, folks, the Supreme Court of the United States, this is part, a big part, of what all of the, all of the hatred and the division and the wrestling and all of the commotion is about. Believe me, 
if Donald Trump is reelected, then they know, they know that the replacement for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is totally pro-abortion, and on and on and on. I'll tell you, if there ever was a fight that involved life and death, it's right now. Now, here's Henry Hyde talking about human dignity. What do we mean by human dignity? If we subject innocent children to brutal execution when they're almost born, we all hope and pray for death with dignity. Tell me what's dignified about a death caused by having a scissor stabbed into your neck so your brains can be sucked out. Yeah. See, this is very stark, isn't it? This is very stark. This is very adult conversation, isn't it? Now, here's Lawrence White. Now, here, here is a Lutheran minister from Our Savior Lutheran Church in Houston. And let's see what he has to say. But of this one thing, we can be absolutely certain. The Lord God Almighty hates the murder of innocent unborn children. Yeah. Um, you know, you folks in Kansas and in Missouri, in Tennessee, wherever you're hearing the sound of my voice, for goodness sake, how about California? And in all the other states, think about this. Is the silence of your church uh, contributing to the problem, to the atrocity, or, uh, or what? You answer the question. Here's Dr. Lawrence White once again. Once again, the innocent are being slaughtered in a 26-year Holocaust that makes Hitler look like a humanitarian by comparison. Yeah. I tell you, folks, it's time for Christian people to wake up and be leaders and then everybody else. I don't know what you believe or what you don't believe, but in America, we believe in human dignity. We believe in protecting the innocent. We believe in life and then liberty and then the pursuit of, and that's where evangelism comes in, to win the heart of people to the person who died for them on the cross of Christ. Rich, can you give a quick uh, phone number for people who may want to comment sure. on this or any other program on Bot Radio Network? Yes, absolutely. 1-800-345-2621. That's 1-800-345-2621. Yeah. So when I hear of Joe Biden trying to play the religious card or trying to get a group of liberal uh, religious people around him and play church, it just really... That just really kind of ruffles my feathers to say the very least. Well, this is Dick Bott with this chapter of The Complete Story as a public service for our audience, and I'll see you later. <laughs> 